All right, First Chronicles chapter 22, and we're going to read a, what we're going to do this time is we'll pray and then we will, we won't read the whole chapter to begin, but uh, we want to, I want to look at this chapter in several verses within it, especially in the context of our anniversary coming up. Uh, as I've, we've said before and talked about this before that the anniversary, the theme of the anniversary, or the motto, if you will, of the anniversary, it's on the banner, is um, <clears throat> looking back with joy, looking forward with hope. And uh, the Lord, I was talking to uh, Sister Judy Pitt before the service, and she told me some information I had never heard, which is, I've always understood it, that the, uh, the, the church, the first meeting of the church, which happened in which happened September 2nd, 1973, uh, was, on, uh, was actually on Viewmont Drive, which is just a, about a mile down the road on the left. But actually, this, what she's saying is that's not actually the case, that the church was the very, first, the very first place that the church met was on Choice Hill Circle. Is it Circle or Road? One of the two. It's right, it's right almost adjacent to Viewmont Drive. It's right in that same area. There's a road called Choice Hill Road or Choice Hill Circle. And it's just a little, just a little loop, and, uh, which is the, the namesake of the church. So, you know, we go all the way back there, and we, we're at 50 years now coming up, coming up this coming Sunday. And so we look back, and then we look forward at the same time. And we thank God for what He has done. I know I have. This church has had a huge impact on my life, and, uh, and I hope it's had a huge impact on your life, and I hope that that impact is not over. I hope that that impact is just, we're in the middle of it, and it'll continue to impact you for good and help you for good. That is especially that the Lord would use the church, would use us to edify and strengthen one another. But I want to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, this is a, a very interesting chapter as it deals with the, the, the preparation that went into the, the building of David and then Solomon's temple. All right, so we'll pray and then we'll start in verse number one of 1 Chronicles 22. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for inviting us to call upon you. Uh, you said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Lord, our faith is so weak. It's just so puny. But Lord, our, we don't depend upon our faith, but we depend upon you, your ability to hear even the smallest, the smallest and, and most silent cry as your people cry out to you for help and for grace. And Lord, we cry out right now that you would bless our time around your word, this, these few minutes that we look at your word. Lord, please teach us all, what your word says, and stir us up and exhort us and help us. Give us that which we need, Lord, because we need you. We need your, your work in our lives. We need one another in the body of Christ as well. Lord, as we look at this, uh, this subject of the temple and these events that happened and the, the great things you did through David, Lord, what a great uh, work you did in his life, in his heart to bring him to the place where he was so just desirous to love you and live for you that he did great things to prepare for this temple. 
And Lord, as we look at your word, please work in us and teach us and stir among us. And Lord, especially, Lord, today, please prepare us and our hearts. Lord, prepare my heart and the hearts of the rest of your people as we go into this special meeting and this revival and the messages that Brother Roberts will bring. Lord, please give him wisdom and understanding. Help him just just to know exactly what to say and help him to say it, Lord, with the power of your spirit behind him and helping him. Help your people just be zealous for this this work that is your work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Chronicles 22, verse number 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And when David said this, there was no house. He was standing on the threshing floor. That is just a flat pavement that was used to thresh wheat. Go back up to chapter 21, verse, verse number 28. Of course, this is what, what's so amazing about this story is that this angel of the Lord comes and is, it is like wiping people out in Israel. It, the angel of the Lord is going through the, the camp because of David's sin. The angel, you know, the Lord gave, uh, David sinned against God and numbering the people. And the Lord came to David and said, uh, I give you three choices, basically. And David chose that, uh, that he would fall, he said he would fall into the hand of the Lord. And so the Lord chose to judge and discipline the nation of Israel because of David's sin. That, that's such a such a stern warning to leaders, and not just the pastor, although certainly the pastor, but what about the Sunday school teachers and the deacons and the other leaders? What about the, the fathers and the mothers and the husbands? The Lord judged the nation of Israel because of what David did. That's a, that's a stern warning to us. But anyway, the Lord judged the nation of Israel, and He sent this, this angel who destroyed some of the people, and, and uh, of, of course we know that the, the angel of the Lord was, had his sword drawn and all those things. And, and verse 27 says, And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. So the angels, uh, the angels striking people down in the nation. And, uh, and David, God gives him a vision of the angel. He sees the angel and he sacrifices right at that place to, to begging God to stop. And so the, the angel puts his sword back up in the sheath. And then verse 28 says, And at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan. It just so happened that, that, that this angel put his sword back into his sheath and the, the, the judgment stopped. Just by coincidence, of course, we know it wasn't, but just by coincidence, it stopped right at this place, which was at the top of a hill in Jerusalem on the land of a Gentile, not a Jew, a Jebusite. On his threshing floor is where the angels stopped. That was the line between the dead and the living. David saw him there. Verse 29 says, For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering, were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. We're talking about in Sunday school, the fear of the Lord. You see this right here, right? 
There's judgment. So David is afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of God. Well, he was. He was. But what's interesting about this is this is to be the location, the God-appointed location of the temple. David's temple, which would then be Solomon's temple. Well, what's interesting is that David's, the, the, the selection of the location, the event that led to the selection of this was David's sin. Was David's sin. Now, God, of course, did not approve of David's sin, but, you know, the Lord is not bound to only use our, our when, we, when we are successful and, and victorious. He uses often our failures. And that's the whole, the, the whole ground of the temple stood as a testimony of David's failure, but then God's ability to overcome the failure. That's the temple ground. That is the ground upon which David said in verse number 1 of 22, this is the house of the Lord God. Again, before there was any house. Verse number 2. <clears throat> And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight, and also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians. And they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David." And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. So this David is going to, it is in David's heart. God put maybe in David's heart or maybe it was, Maybe as, as, as we see in the scripture, it was already in the heart of, God, heart of David because of his affection to God, his love for God. He said, why am I dwelling in a house sealed with cedar while that, where the, 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 the ark of God is under a tent? That's what he said. It's under curtains because at that time there was no edifice built with stone where the, the ark of God would be. It's still at the tabernacle as we see it, it was at Gibeon. And so it was in David's heart. That's why I say so many things related to the temple of God came out of David's heart, came out of David's life, came out of David's relationship to God. And that's the way it is with us as well. That's the way it is with your family. Your family will be whatever outflows from your relationship to God. This church will be whatever flows out of your relationship to God and nothing more. Because again, the church is not this. This is nice. We thank the Lord for it. But this is not the church. You are the church. And the church can only be what you are and what I am. Nothing more. Nothing more. And you think, well, that's, that's a pretty low view. <laughs> well, I agree. If we just look at us, it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty dismal. We don't have very much ability at all. But as far as our relationship to the Lord, we will only be, our church will only be a spiritually minded only be as spiritually focused as we as individuals are. That's it. Because we are the church. As we look at this temple, 
where David is going to build, David is preparing. David is planning. And he's gathering things together. Now, as a doctrinal point, and this is kind of where I want to go with this and where I want to apply it, the temple in the Old Testament, which at this point is theory, at this point is just in the mind of David. It's not one stone has been laid upon it. In fact, the location has just been established. But the temple in the Old Testament, a lot of times we look at the temple and we assume that the house of the Lord will say, will say things like, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, right? We say that. And we say it, well, we say that when we're, go- we're going to church on Sunday because we're going to the house of the Lord. But I, I just want to make a little correction on that because it's an important distinction. This here is not the house of the Lord. This is not the house of the Lord, biblically speaking. I know we commonly refer to it, and you know, nobody's, nobody's going to get on your case about that, but there's something more important that is the house of the Lord. So when you look at the Old Testament and you see that the, you see the reference to the house of the Lord, that is, a, a, we might call it a, a type or a picture of something in the New Testament. And that picture is not referring to this building. It's something far more important than that. Let's look at a couple of references and then we'll come back here, okay? Look at 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter number uh, 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> First Corinthians three, look at verse number 16. The Bible says this, "Know ye not that ye are the temple of God." <clears throat> and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, why did David build the temple to begin with? What was his purpose? It was, was, it, was it to have a, pretty, a big, pretty building? People could look at it and say, man, look at David, and this is David's heritage, and this is David's reputation, and this is David's fame and glory. Well, this is Solomon. No, 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 no. Had nothing to do with his line. Had nothing to do with that whatsoever. The temple of God, as it functioned in the same way as the tabernacle, which was the, 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 the temporary location, the temple of God had one purpose, and that was to be the dwelling place of God among his people. That's why it existed. It was funny as God, up to that point, remember, God did not demand a fancy building. He dwelled in tents and he, he, he blessed the children of Israel. And they built houses, like David said, sealed with cedar and fir and, and beautiful houses and all these things. And God's like, I've never asked for anything else. God was happy to dwell in a tent. Because what was important was not the place. What was important was God dwelling with his people. Because see, that temple, that tabernacle was where God manifested his presence among his people. It was where God dwelt upon the earth. He says, verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Just again, reiterate. There is a temple of God in the New Testament. Do you know what it is? It's the church. Not this. It's you. Corporately, the church. Individually, you, your body. Because why? 
Because that serves as the dwelling place of God. Did we not go, have we not been going through the book of Acts? We got chapter two, we talked about the baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. That's good, solid uh, doctrinal truth that you can sink your teeth into. But you know why that's important that we understand that? Is because we understand that because the Spirit of God dwells in the believer, the believer is the temple. Because the temple is the place where God dwells. This, this group here is where God dwells. The church of God. Look at chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse, look down at verse number 16. The Bible says this, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. You see that? That's the purpose of the temple. The primary purpose of the temple is to be the place where God dwells with His people. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, you and I are the temple of God. You and I, counted as one group, one body, is the temple of God. Look at Ephesians, if you would, to the right just a little bit more. Chapter 2. Verse 19. Actually, verse number 18 The Bible says this, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now that's referring to a family. Don't you love all these, uh, these metaphors God uses to describe different aspects of our relationship to Him as a group? And individually, he, in this case, in verse 20 or verse 19, he's referring to the fact that we're fellow citizens like a nation, not strangers, but fellow citizens. And then he also mentions the household of God. That's a family. And then verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. That's a building, a temple. It's a house. Not a house necessarily that you live in with your family, but a house where God dwells. Verse number 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Once again, verse 22, you see the same principle. In whom ye also are builded together for an what? What's it say? I, I couldn't hear you. What's a habitation? It's a dwelling place. Of God through the what? That's Acts chapter 2. That's why we study doctrine. We get the doctrine and it informs our life, our practice. God's spirit is in us. God is in us. We are the temple of God. And that should affect the way we live. That should affect our priorities. But notice in verse 21, once again, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth 
unto an holy temple in the Lord. Notice, you have, so when, when things are fitly framed together, you, you think of uh, uh, Brother Stevens was a contractor, right? Contractor for many years. And so he dealt with building materials. And you get all the materials and you order the materials in bulk. And sometimes they come on pallets and sometimes they come in boxes, right? Sometimes they come in packages. Sometimes they come on the back of a truck. And then you, you break all those materials out. We put in the lights and we had boxes of this and coils of wire and all kinds of stuff. And the, the carpet guys came in and had rolls of carpet and buckets of glue. And they have all these materials. But you know, those materials independently are useless. It's when you take those individual materials and you put them together in a way that is skillful so that those things become fitly framed together that you actually can build something. So in verse number, in, in this verse here, verse number 21, what you see is the emphasis on the building and the, the, the church is the temple of God, but then we start to see what I want to show you, which is, the temple of God is made up of many different components that the Lord puts together, fitly frames them together. The, the term fitly frame implies that separate things are put together to build something. And then as, that, as those bricks are laid one upon another, as those wires are run, as that carpet is laid, and as those things are, those various things in a building are installed, that building grows. That's what's being described here. Now go back, if you would, to Second, or First Chronicles 22. Notice in verse 2, the Bible says that David... He set masons to who wrought stones. I just want you to pay attention real quick to the, the building materials that David prepared. Remember that word prepared, okay? Remember that word prepared. You're going to see it several times. I want you to note it, okay? Just keep it in your mind. He set masons to who wrought stones to build the house of God. So you have, you have stones, Verse 3, David prepared iron in abundance for the nails. So you have nails. And, and uh, the end of that verse says, and brass in abundance without weight. So you have brass. Verse 4, also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians that they have tired brought much wood, much cedar wood to David. So you have cedar wood. So you have stone. You have iron. You have brass. You have wood. You know what you have here? David is preparing the material to build the house. And if you look at this material, now remember, the temple, the temple is not a picture in the New Testament. It's not a picture or we, we have, now, now just pause here a second. In the New Testament time, we don't have a temple. There is no like one temple on earth we go and worship at. No, the Lord totally changed his, we say, economy. What do I mean by that? In other words, there is no temple where we come, a central place that God has picked and ordained, where we come to worship in that place and nowhere else, like in the Old Testament. We are the temple. So wherever the church meets, whether it's on Choice Hill Circle, whether it's on Viewmont Drive, whether it's on Old Buncombe Road, or wherever it is, under a shade tree in the Congo, that's where... That's where God's presence is. 
And in this, in this picture, this metaphor with the Old Testament temple and the New Testament temple, which is the church, remember, David in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. But I submit that in this context, that Solomon is a type of the Spirit of God. Why do I I say that? Because although David does the preparation, you remember the church wasn't even really going. I mean, it was just kind of in an infant stage or embryonic, you might say, stage when the Lord was on the earth. He died, he rose, he went back to heaven, but he said, I'll come again. And he came by the Spirit of God. Remember, we studied this. And then the Spirit of God is what the book of Acts is all about. We read it all 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 over the book of Acts. But remember, We call our study in the book of Acts the continuing acts of what? Of Christ. Because it is Jesus in the Spirit of God working in the church, building the church by the Spirit of God. And so you have David David, uh, pictures Christ. He's preparing the temple. He's instructing those disciples. He's laying the foundation for everything that they will teach later. They don't know it, but they will. (laughs) And then he dies and he rises again and he pays for our salvation. He goes to heaven. He sends the Spirit of God down. That's Solomon. And Solomon is the one who actually starts putting brick to brick. Solomon takes those materials that David David set aside and he starts building it and putting it together in in an actual temple. And that's what the Spirit of God does. Now we know, what is Solomon doing? In fact, even in this context, he speaks verse number 6. He says in verse 7, Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house in the name of the Lord. Verse number 11, now my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he has said of thee. See, see, David gives instruction to Solomon. So before Solomon takes the crown, Solomon already has instruction as to what his main job is going to be. And that's going to be the build of the temple. Just like when the Lord went to heaven. He sent the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God, Jesus, through the Spirit of God, is building the church. So you see this metaphor. It's a really interesting, interesting scene. And in verse number 2, verse 3, verse 4, you see the different materials used. As we said before, we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, the, the, the building materials are diverse. There's stone, there's brass, there's iron, there's wood. But you know what? You can't have, you can't, what good, what good is a building without the materials, right? What good is a building? What good is a, a how can you build a building without the bricks and the wire and the carpet and the sheetrock and the, you know, all of the things that go into building a building? If you just if you don't have the materials, you have no building. If you just have a blueprint, it's fantasy, right? It's fantasy. A blueprint without without the materials is useless. And here's what you have to understand: you and I are the materials. You and I are the materials, and we are put together. The Bible says, Ephesians two, fitly framed together by the Lord. He puts us together. He builds the building but you are the material. You are the building materials. The building materials, as I said, are diverse. They're different. They're not all the same. You can't build a building with only one thing. You have to have all different kinds of things to build a building. 
The building materials are used for all, all for different purposes. Notice verse 4. I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 3. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates. He couldn't, use, he couldn't use the wood, the cedar wood, for the nails. No, he had to use the iron for the nails. So each part of the material... Each different thing that went into that building had a specific purpose and a specific use, and it was fitted for that use. It was required that the building materials would be different, but all of the materials were necessary. All of the materials were necessary. Hold your place here and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would. Now, again, we're, we're talking about metaphors, right, to the, to the church. We talked about a family. We talked about a building. So that's what our subject is, subject is this morning. There's also a body, and that's what's in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Verse 18, but now God has set the members of every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now, transfer this truth to a building material. If, er if everybody in the church was a brick, how are you going to roof the building? If everybody in the church was, a, was, a, was cedar wood, where are you going to get nails? Right? How is it going to have structure? So the church, as it says here, are all different. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. The, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor yet again the, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are, that's the last two words that I want you to see, are what? What's it say? Necessary. Listen, in this church, None of you are expendable. You're all necessary. Somebody might think, well, if I wasn't around here, nobody would, nobody would know, nobody would care, and nothing, no, no effect would be felt. God says different. God says different. You're necessary. You're important to the work of God here. Notice back in our text, the cedar trees were, bought, were brought by the Zidonians. So they were bought, brought from different places. The materials all came from different locations as well. So the church, each one of you is a member, each one of you who is a part of the body, is one part of the materials that the Lord will use to build this local church, which is a part of His grand work in the world. You're necessary. You're all different than one another. But you're all specially 
You're all specially gifted. The, the key is to find what purpose you have. Instead of just floating along and to intentionally say, Lord, what is my role here? Why am I here? I, sh- I need a function for this body. You have put me here and I want to fulfill the reason for which I am here. Look at verse 5. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. Isn't that an interesting term? Exceeding magnificent. It means eminent, renowned, glorious, splendid. But notice it says, the house, David says to his son Solomon, the house must be. In other words, a shoddy job could not be. This was not going to be a this was not going to be a job that was not meet for and suited to the occupant. That's the key. Because of the house's purpose, because of the house's occupant, it must be worthy of that occupant. And that's us that's our church as well. That's you as individuals, that's that's me as an individual, but together this work must be. That's what the word says, right? Must be, must be exceeding magnifical. It must, it must be suitable for the one who dwells among us, right? Our life should be that. What we do should be that. Now, you might look at the individual stones and such here, and you might, uh, we might look at you know, there, there's wood, there's, there's stone, there's iron, there's brass. You might look at those things. You, you look at an individual stone, you say, well, that's not, it's just a stone. You know, it's got imperfections and it's got cracks and it's got this and that. You look at the wood and you're like, I don't like the way the grain is with this. And maybe the, 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 bra, the, the brass is not exactly the purity that you'd want it to be or whatever. We might look at our individual lives and see problems and faults. And, and you know what? We should work on those things. All of us have them, myself included. There's, there's none among us without sin, and there's none among us without fault. None of us. But you know what? We look at those things, we, we look at each part, and we might get discouraged, and we might think, well, it's not that impressive. Or it's not, I'm not that notable, or I'm not that important. Or I'm just an average person. You are, and I am. There, listen, there are no big shots in God's, God's work. They don't exist. They really don't. But the Lord takes average people like us. Listen, just stop a minute and just think to yourself, how many faults do you have? How many shortcomings do you recognize? How many did you identify this week that frustrated you, that really annoyed you? Things that just... You just, just want to just slap, your, slap, your, slap yourself in the, in the head and just be like, what, what were you thinking? That's imperfections in us. The Lord's working on us. We're, he, he's going to make us better. We're going to grow. We're going to get better. But you know what? He takes imper, imper, imperfections in us. And you know what? He puts it together so that the building, even though each part might not be exceeding magnificent, when it's together, the Lord makes it exceeding magnificent because he has a great purpose for it. Look what it says. 
of fame and of glory throughout all countries. Now, this is a reference to the temple in Solomon's day, David and Solomon's day. But that is exactly the purpose of the church. The church of God. That's you, that's me. The church of God is to be famous in the earth. Certainly not for ourselves. The church of God is to be the source whereby people go to get truth. The church of God is to be famous in that it reflects and glorifies God through holy life, through love unfeigned, through pure faith. That's what the church does. It's to be well known. And so the building, just like in Solomon's day, it was not for the glory of David and Solomon. It was the glory of the God who dwelt among that, dwelt in that building. And so the church is also to be exceeding magnificent. It is to be of fame and reputation. For from you, the Bible says in the New Testament, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also everywhere. But also everywhere your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. That's what I've been trying to tell, the, tell, tell you all, that our church, listen, it's not about us. Who cares if they know who we are? It's not about the individual stones, right? But we must walk worthy of the Lord who dwells in this temple. We must walk worthy of the Lord who dwells among us. I'm skipping a lot of stuff just to get to the end. Let's let's go on down a little bit further. David gives his son a charge. Verse 12, Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Verse 14, notice what it says. Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared. It's like the third or fourth time in this chapter we've seen that word. For the house of the Lord and 100,000 talents of gold and 100,000 talents of silver. You know how much a talent is? It's like 20 pounds. 100,000 of those. That's a couple million pounds. Of gold. Not just that, silver. A thousand thousand talents. A million, that'd be 20 million pounds of silver. Let me ask you a question. Was David serious about preparing for this temple? (laughs) Was David committed? Was he all in? Oh, yeah. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Workmen, gold, silver, brass, verse 16, verse 17. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? Hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now, this is what I want us to see. This is, this is the close. And this is what I want to say to Choice Hills Baptist Church as we go into this anniversary meeting. 
looking, looking, back, looking back with joy, looking forward with hope. This is a pivot point. Now, not a pivot to go in a different direction, but a pivot to consider where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. It's a pivot point for you to consider where you are, where you have been, and where you are going as an individual. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Remember the context, building the temple of God. That is the church in the New Testament. But you know, if this church is going to be built, and I'm not, again, I'm not just talking about numbers on a membership roll. I'm talking about built up spiritually, strengthened, growing, thriving as a living body, which is what it is. It's a living body. What's going to be required? It was required for them. David's going to die, and he's encouraging Solomon and charging Solomon to go forward. But he's also telling the elders of Israel here, all the princes, verse 17, he's telling them, you can't do this until you set your heart to seek the Lord. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Choice Hills Baptist Church, I just want to encourage you. Set your hearts to seek your hearts and your souls to seek the Lord your God before this meeting. It means to fix your heart, to cause your heart to dwell upon something, to be centered on something. It means to direct and point your heart in a specific direction. Last verse of all, look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 10, I'm sorry. Daniel 10. Daniel's fasting. Daniel's praying. Daniel's confessing. Daniel has a burden. Daniel's asking the Lord for something. Verse 12. Then said he unto me, the angel, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. As we go into this meeting, We want to see, I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you want to see. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what you want to see. I know what I want to see. I want to see the Lord do something exceeding magnifical through this church, through you. That's what I want to see. I want to see the name of Christ exalted. I want to see your faith and my faith spread abroad. I want to see the gospel being spread in unmistakable ways in Greenville and all around 
everywhere else through this church. That's what I want to see. But to do that, we're going to have to, like David said, we're going to have to set our hearts to seek the Lord. When we go into this meeting, we need to set our hearts. That's what all, this, all the cottage prayer meetings, that's what it's about. It's about pointing our hearts to the Lord. That's what it's about. It's about examining ourselves. It's about, it's about clearing out everything that might distract or hinder so that our hearts can be set on the Lord. We can't begin to work. We can't begin to build, as the case might be, without first setting our heart on the Lord to seek Him. Now, I've made these little cards. I'll wait till tonight to give them out. They say, this card says, has some lines to write on, and, and the card simply says, what I would like to see the Lord do in my heart, my life, my relationship to Him, my family, my church, my community, and my future. What I'm going to ask you to do tonight is once we, once we do our, our, our study tonight, I'm going to ask you to take one of these and just take it home and think about it. And I want you to fill it out. Put your name on the back and just fill it out. And there'll, there'll be a place, come this week, come this, this Sunday, next Sunday rather, on Wednesday night and on Sunday, there'll be a place for you to put those. Nobody's going to read it. This is just a concrete way for you to articulate what you want, what you would like to see the Lord to do in you and what you would like to see Him do in your family and in your church and in your relationship to Him. What you would like to see Him do from you setting your heart upon Him. If, if, you're, if you're willing, I'd like you to take one of these after tonight's service and and think about it, pray about it, and write some things down that you would like to see the Lord do. And make that kind of the, the focus and the setting of your heart. Let's pray together.